Have you ever struggled against God with something? I mean, I think we all do all the time. But a lot of the time it seems like it's subtle, or when we are unaware of our own actions or thoughts. Have you ever had one very specific thing that you knew was wrong in life, and you knew exactly what you needed to do, and you just wrestled tirelessly to hold on to it and not surrender to God? I don't know what went through your thoughts at the time, but maybe it was something like, well, I'll just ignore this and it will go away. Um, or maybe I'm overreacting. People do this all the time. They don't seem to have any trouble. Or these feelings are just me getting into my own head. I don't really need to listen to them. I think that pool, though, it's something where it doesn't go away. Or maybe it does. If it does go away, though, is that really a good thing? Like, how long can you pull in a certain direction and, and run from God? <laughs> how long will he still pull back? And what are his ways? How does he work with the millions upon millions of children that know him, know his ways, felt his spirit pull them from within, and then still walk in their own way? Does he give up on them? Does he start strategically picking his battles with them so that he can maybe take like the once in a million home run only thing that will save us kind of shot? Uh, is he always looking for that opportunity? Does he pull at all, eventually? I mean, the world we live in, won't, won't it um, and its storms eventually break us and dash us upon the rocks? Does he allow the storms to come? Does he send them? Does he send all of them? Or just hand direct a few? I still have so many questions when it comes to the subject of the sovereignty of God. If you think this subject is easy, um, let's, let's not talk about it. <laughs> um, this subject, it's probably what led me out of a way theology. Um, everything was very clear cut. God gave man freedom of will, so man makes choices. Man responds to God through faith. Um, if you don't have healing or, um, you know, some of the promises of God or the life or the, you know, the more than abundant life or whatever it was, then that was a you issue and you needed to believe. And I think I've talked about this, you know, there wasn't any place for suffering. Um, but then it it did it did, it negated the the actual journey of life or or some of the things of the struggles of life where you did everything right and it still didn't work out um and you know i don't know everything about this subject but here's some of the things that I've started to try and, and decipher. And, and it's, it, like I said, I came from something that was very clear cut. And now I'm not. I don't know if there's a solid landing spot. Like I think that there's some solid comfort. 
But I don't know if this is something where you get to figure this subject out. I think that there is some gray area. Um, does God control everything? I'm not sure. Does God control some things? Yes. Um, does he control the lost sinner to come back? No. Does he still want them to come back? Yes. Does he draw them? Does he corral and confront them? Does he challenge them? I think so. I really do. I'm not always sure what it means to work in a broken world with the absolute highest standards of justice and righteousness while still maintaining and respecting someone's freedom of will. I believe that the greatest comfort to these questions is to think of the Garden of Gethsemane and how Jesus wrestled with God in prayer on that faithful night. This is a section of scripture that I look at much differently than the way I was taught in my past. First off, there are two wills that night. There wasn't some uncertainty of what God desired. There was a struggle of, I know exactly what you want, and I don't want to do it. Can we find another way? Some third option, perhaps. I'm willing to give a lot, maybe even 95%, but I really want this last 5% for myself. Maybe I can just go around and heal and teach and serve and all this stuff I've been doing, but this last act of obedience is a little severe, isn't it? I mean, why would you ask me to do more when I've already done so much? Is it really that unreasonable for me to want what I want? <laughs> this means losing something that I care about. It means going away that I don't want to go. The only reason I would do this is because you asked me. I thought this walk with you was all about loving you and rejoicing to do your will. I know that you don't want my grumbling, relenting. You want a pure heart filled with joy and thankful for the privilege of giving my all for you. A little bit of that is trying to put myself in his shoes and kind of relate his story and what he must have been feeling that night. Because it wasn't like he didn't give anything to God. He gave his entire life to God. And this was the next step. And he was stressed, mental breakdown, crying, asking for help, asking for a different way. I think that the honesty of Jesus' prayer, I don't know if a, if a whole lot of people really, really get honest with it and, and confront it. I think the fact that he's met by silence is even more comforting. I don't believe that life is filled with complete unknown and mystery. I do believe that a lot of times we don't see where we're going until we get there and our vision of of, you know, looking back is is a lot clearer. And a lot of times you'll get to see God, you know, after the fact and seeing that he was there. I mean, Jesus is comforted, but he doesn't get the answer that he wanted. I think at times our lives are a lot more up for grabs. 
the adventure of it all, the journey, the relationship with God. He's not just a vending machine that, that you punch the right buttons into. I know that now. He has a will and he has a desire. And he works with me. And he works with all of us. And I think that the moments of struggle that we face will never rise to the level of challenge that Jesus faced in the Garden of Gethsemane. But that he struggled too can be a comfort. That the end result of Jesus' prayer was his changing, not God. That instead of us always thinking that Jesus draws near to us in our time of need, Maybe instead we're drawing nearer to Jesus during his time of need. His outcome was victorious. Ours is up for grabs. <laughs> you know, a lot of what I said about was Jesus thinking these things, <laughs> those were actually my thoughts. Um, you know. It's amazing, though. Um, it's, it's, it's funny how quickly... I had changed from being the most on fire, thankful, humble Christian version of myself of my entire life. Uh, and then I was desperately trying to grasp onto the fire that had just been there and rekindle its flames. The thought of 95% went through my head so many times during those months. It was, it was that summertime. And here's what I thought about when I thought that 95%. I thought, I figured that if I gave 95% and kept 5% for myself, then I should get 95% of the goodness. And that would be good. That would be good enough. I would be happy with that. That was better than most, I mean. But... With the amount of obedience and expected blessing and peace, I was thinking I was just going to ride that out for a lifetime. And that wasn't the case. No, I was wrestling with God. I knew some things were wrong, and I did it anyways. And it's not like I just did one thing. It was just kind of a, a pooling, a wrestling. It was a thought an ache that started and it didn't didn't go away and in some ways I'm very glad it didn't um, I was wrestling with God because of the girl of my dreams
So me and the girl of my dreams have been dating for a couple months and things were amazing. Uh, it felt like an epic fairy tale that I just couldn't believe. I knew every fairy tale had to come to earth eventually, but man, what a story to tell. What a grand adventure. Um, she was an amazing person. Her family that I was welcomed into, um, the journey that we were on together. My life was making sense and I was super happy. Um, I guess kind of. <laughs> uh, so there are warning signs in just about every relationship. Um, but out of ignorance and pride and whatever else, uh, we don't see them. So we choose not to see them. Uh, looking back at this time, I realized that I had so much on my plate that it's a wonder I did anything right at all. Um, so I was, I was still kind of refiguring out my own faith. W well, kind of. Um, I basically liked listening to Tim Keller teachings and going to my new church. Uh, I was still reading. Um, like I, I had started going back through the book of Psalms and that was actually really healing. Um, but the, the difference between now or, or where I was at and where I was before was it didn't feel like I was growing. Um, I was too focused on this girl. I was getting over the loss of a lot of friends. Well, kind of. I now had a new big family, you know, there was lots of siblings and they're, you know, that became my new social calendar and network and my weekends were full and I was, you know, I was getting constant attention. Um, you know, this meant brothers-in-law to get to know and go to family picnics and swimming and kids' birthday parties. It was pretty nice, uh, but at times I, I did still feel lonely. And especially with a family of people who all knew each other really, really well. They were nice. It was not them. I had a loving relationship that worked perfectly from the start. Well, kinda. It was a roller coaster ride of emotion and challenges. But roller coasters are fun because of the ups and downs, right? If they were just a never ending hill upwards, no one would ride one and scream all the way down. <laughs> Plus, with all the ways I had seen God come through recently and being absolutely certain that this was the will of God, I couldn't lose. But it did start to feel some tugs on me and my soul. I saw some selfishness in me that I had never seen before, especially in regards to intimacy. I knew that I was starting to struggle against God or my own conscience it was especially apparent while singing worship songs. <laughs> they would have lyrics about giving him everything. <laughs> and I would sing them half-heartedly. I was like, well, in the future I'll be in line with you, but for now I'm just a struggling and kind of want to just do this one thing guy. Uh, but then the teachings, they also became less and less impactful. Or... The messages would be too hard to face. And they were simple, just like the songs were simple. It wasn't that. It was, it was the struggling. Uh, I was even running to the 9 a.m. service at my church, 
and then going over to her church for the 11 a.m. service. Uh, during the week, I was still reading um, Gospels or the Book of Psalms. I had plenty of God time, but it was almost like I was trying to barter with God. <laughs> hey, uh, God, can I have the joy and peace that you and I had before? Uh, I'm trying here. Yeah. Uh, but the well I've gone to before is getting a little dry. And so I keep on trying again and again. Um, it's not that I'm not getting anything. It's just not quite as satisfying. And that started to creep up and eat away at me. Uh, the other thing that was going wrong was that I, I realized that a relationship was a lot more to deal with than I thought. Uh, especially when you factor in the realization that you had two people coming out of extremely traumatizing pasts. Uh, I just read a quote recently from Paul David Tripp um, that said, You were unprepared because you did not enter the situation with a humble sense of your own sinfulness. I feel like that's going to summarize the gist of the next couple months of the relationship. Uh, we did not have a humble sense of our own sinfulness, and we were unprepared for a relationship. The peak of the relationship came when we did go to Ohio together for a wedding in late June. It was amazing, actually. Um, she got to meet my grandpa and my friends. She got to see my old church. Uh, it was our first road trip together, and it just went great. When we got back, there was a really sweet moment we shared where I just held her. She was crying. Um, her ex had done something horribly selfish right when we got back, and she was realizing how much he had deeply affected her and that she wasn't over the trauma. Uh, for me, it was just like the scene from Waitress, you know, the Broadway show or movie where the doctor just holds, you know, the waitress and holds her and tells her that she matters to him uh, and doesn't let go till she's sure of it. <laughs> she, she always thought, you know, that she was strong and, and reasonable. She couldn't see why other people or especially other women, you know, couldn't get over things. This girl had a whole history of horrible things and she, she basically thought she was fine. But that night, she saw plainly how much she was not fine. And it was, it, it was an honor to be there and to tell her that one day she would be. That was the high point, because after that, all the past issues of her past started to seep into the relationship. I mean, they had always been there, but now they were really starting to pile up. Um, it was almost like every week there was some new frustration with me. I didn't know if it was truly me, or if I was just constantly fighting the ghosts of her past. I played the part of the smoother. I, w I just would absorb all the emotional swings and outbursts. I wasn't ever going to be upset with her and get angry like her exes did. I was the good guy. 
and I was going to cover for all of her. She had a lot to process, and it was okay if, if it was a wild ride. I could handle it, right? But it just seemed like it was on some sort of down, downward spiral. I, I tried harder and harder. I made changes. I was learning from my mistakes. Honestly, owning some of the character flaws and things that I had done wrong. I mean, a relationship does magnify all the weaknesses in character that we still do have. And I knew I had a lot to grow up in. I was trying to figure it all out while in stride. It just seemed to be a losing battle. It started to feel like walking on eggshells and I was losing confidence. I was just trying not to trigger or offend. We just needed to make it a little further, I told myself, till we were married and then we were home free. But I didn't know if we were gonna get, going to get there. I didn't know if we were going to fix everything in time. I remember I would just buy her flowers every week or things for her house. You know, I, I liked to give gifts almost too much. And I had to realize that, but I wasn't there yet. And I just was constantly giving to try and make her happy and show her I cared. And it wasn't fake. I really did care. And it would bring happiness for a while, but it wouldn't fix anything. It wouldn't last. Or I tried to serve whenever I could and just help out in her life. I helped out when she was sick or cooked food, helped clean up around the house, played with her son. I was trying to be helpful in every way that I could. Um, I also was showering her with praise and words of affection. I loved to tell her how much I loved her and how much she meant to me. We often embraced um, or just, just simple touch that I found new levels of being refreshed and peaceful from just a hug. And we talked and talked and talked and spent all our time together. <laughs> Those were the five love languages. Um, I We had talked about which one she was and you know, I didn't know for sure. Uh, like I said, things weren't working, but I was trying <laughs> uh, all of them just all the time just to see if one would, would get through. And they all seemed to, to not quite work out. Um, at this point in time, by the way, I think that the whole five love languages theory is bullshit. Uh, my theory now is don't focus on one area. Just be honest, mature, good person who owns their junk and is thankful for grace while thinking of others. Uh, but that's for another time. Uh, so meanwhile... I'm, I'm struggling and wrestling. Everything was becoming a struggle. Nothing seemed to be going right. But I was also somehow strangely still convinced that one day soon the fairy tale would return and that it was just waiting right around the corner. I just needed to keep trying and we'd get there soon and live happily ever after. Even if it was going to take us 10 years to finally get through all the processing and junk, the next 40 after that would be worth it. I remember actually thinking that and telling myself that. 
if you ever think that yourself, get, get an outside opinion. You're probably not seeing something correctly. Your ways are hidden until they're revealed But then it dawns upon me what you already know that you'll always win, but I'm always healed Little by little along this road I hate and love this truth about life That your ways are higher than mine That your ways are higher than We were totally enmeshed in each other's lives. We were talking for hours um, every, every night. One night, though, a simple disagreement came up about how texting her brothers uh, for moving. I was, I was moving into a small place in town to be near her, and I made a joke about the word fellowship with them. Um, I had heard them making fun of it before. Uh, you know, telling somebody that you want to fellowship together, that's, that sounds a little cultish. Um, and I made some sort of joke about how it would be a great time to fellowship with them. Almost like, aha, I'm in the know too, and I know this is a creepy word. Well, that didn't go over well. Um, she really hated it, and, and I apologized. I mean, I wasn't trying to offend um but it got me thinking and you know i i had already been thinking about you know what it was feeling like in this relationship and that one little moment was was something that really triggered something i i was also watching a show later that night and the next morning i just woke up at like 5 a.m and i i had this burning thought that I had to try and communicate to her. So I wrote an email. The subject was called Changing Each Other. Good morning, sweetie. Um, my body woke me up around 5 a.m. this morning, and I've been lying in bed thinking about that, that couple going through a divorce and you and, you know, the phone conversation we had last night. Um, there was something that I just wanted to say in, in this email and this morning, and maybe we can talk about it more when, you know, later. Um, I'm afraid of the topic of changing each other. And I've been trying to communicate this to you, but it, it doesn't seem like we're on the, the same page yet. Um, let me start off by saying that, that my church history in Columbus is a big part of why I think the way I do. Um, I saw examples of handling people that I don't want to follow anymore. I was changing from this long ago, and I'm, I'm the person I am today, but because they caused me great hurt. Um, to kind of paint the picture of what I'm talking about, it's basically that they would prize one attribute and, and sought it to the neglect of all others. Um, 
So what do I mean by that? Especially people coming into the church. New people would come in super thankful and sweet. They were also messy, though, and immature. I mean, not really, though. I mean, everyone that is new to Christ is, but they just weren't super Christians yet. Um, and that's what the church wanted, you know, Bible knowledge. They just wanted this one thing. And they weren't serious enough. They didn't know the Bible enough. They didn't serve enough. Um, so they started encouraging them to change in these ways or, or you know, sitting down with them or... By the end of it, though, they would be more knowledgeable, but less sweet. <laughs> more serious and committed, but less joyful. I, I think the manner in which they changed people, and I did this too. I think that the, the person that would result is one of the worst things about that church. So even before I wanted to leave... Or change from my, you know, X-Way fellowship, I knew that that was wrong. It, it was something where I could see the end product and it didn't seem worth it. Yeah, they grew in all the ways that you wanted them to, but they became a little shallow. Like a little one-dimensional. They were assholes, honestly, without joy. The thing was, though, that no one realized... I think was that the two things were related. You take a young believer that's full of joy and life, but they're a little bit messy, and you say, hmm, I really love this person the way they are. I just wish they were a little less messy. Whether it was being overly emotional or having hobbies that were frivolous or going to bars or etc. It didn't really matter what it was about them that was messy or immature. It, it was all captured by the idea of spiritual growth. You, you seek this at, at the cost of everything else. The book that you're reading now that I gave you, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, this was especially helpful um, and inspiring to me to undo some of this hurt. It taught me about an emotionally healthy way of changing and not neglecting yourself. Where sometimes you have to be in touch with your feelings and let change happen slowly. Basically, I, I believe that every person really does have hurts and needs that can be helped, but God's way is a lot more gracious, that he wants to be part of the change, that the process can be as slow or as fast as that person wants. You just have to let him in and he'll do the work. And I think when God is part of things that, you know, things that are truly immature will change, but the result will be that the person is all around healthy and more whole. You don't have to sacrifice one element of your life that's good in order to cure one element that's bad. So, you know, after we got done talking, I was watching the Americans last night, um, there's a really poignant scene between an older woman and the Russian spy. Uh, the older woman was sharing details of her life with her capturer. Um, she was gushing over her husband, Gil. She showed pictures of him. I mean, she's scared to death. She's almost positive she's going to die. I mean, the spy 
I mean, you know, this is just, this, there's no other way. But they're, they're talking. And she, she pulls out pictures of her, her husband and she starts talking about him. She said that she missed him. I mean, he was dead now. So, so she's alone. And she liked being alone because she felt near to him. She loved him dearly. Um, and then she shared something very interesting. She, she shared how they were married twice. Uh, once that fell apart. And then again later. The one line that she said that I wanted to say to you was when talking about her husband. She said, there was no more thoughts of why aren't you the person I want you to be. And instead, we were just happy with the people we were. I just, I just wonder if everyone has this issue in marriage where the person you're marrying is close, but I just want them to change in these key areas. But that probably will never be satisfied or end. I pretty much know exactly uh, the part of me that irks you so much. And honestly, it's taken me a long road to become the person you know and love. I have grown in honesty and maturity, in selflessness and awareness. But through it, there's a version of me that is blatantly different than others. I do things in a way that is super direct or that has my own spin or humor in it. And people have appreciated it over the years. I've been lauded for being unique and without pretense. That's why I put it in my eHarmony profile. <laughs> People often tell me how different I am and how that has been refreshing. And I also like who I am. I know that this version of me is not as concerned with social norms or expectations. And I, I believe that it is a rougher and messier version. A little bit wilder and untamed. I do not believe that it is in the thought that I am the only thing that matters or that I'm using it as a veneer or a cloak to be malicious. At the heart of it, I think I'm a good person who loves God and has gone through his own share of religious manipulation and control. And I'm starting to reject its standards for me and other people's opinions of me. I feel like God will continue to shape me into the man he wants me to be and that he's done a pretty good, pretty good job so far. If I'm arrogant and reject his continued leading, I'm sure that I could turn into a monster. But as it stands right now, I think I'm on the right path. Also, the pace that I'm taking is my own, and I do not need to go any faster or slower. I've heard that a strong marriage gets deeper and sweeter over time. That the trust and fragile feelings we start with get cemented with effort and mutual dedication. I'm afraid that that trust and hurt, distrust and hurt can also build. Then when it, it erupts, the path to healing looks impossible. I don't think it is just when one side quits. I think it's a complete mishandling of each other's feelings in life. Sometimes people quit because the road they're on is too hurtful and nothing, nothing's ever going to change. What I'm seeking is some sort of balance with you. Something where we keep the lines of communication open and you feel free to talk to me about anything. 
but that we keep in mind that there are certain aspects of each other that are not going to change and don't need to. I'm afraid at times with the tenor that you speak or the disappointment you display that you want me to change tomorrow or actually yesterday before you met me so that you don't have to deal with it. The simple joke that I did with your brothers was another example. My sense of humor was to write that. Yours was to write something else. It might seem simple to you, but I really don't want to change my sense of humor for anyone else. I don't want to be an ogre or unloving, but I do not want to be changed and try to wear some sort of costume that doesn't fit. I am allowed to be different. The variety that life brings will be more beautiful than the monotonous expected in uniform. The problem is, though, that there is good and bad in everything we do. Sometimes one person takes something one way. Sometimes a different person takes it another. One time someone intends one thing, sometimes they intend another. If we smash out of every other, each other, everything that we don't like, I'm afraid that we'll do it in a way that frustrates the other person and kills in them something that we love and will miss. That we don't have the right to change each other, nor do we have the tools like God. He, he walks through something delicately, and, and the person is whole on the other end. This is, this is complicated, I, I know, and it's not simple. It's not just stop doing that. What we're really saying is stop being you. Be this instead. I get it that this is extreme, but I hope you see my heart in writing this. I've committed to you time and again that I love the change that I'm seeing in myself, that I respect your opinions, but I do not want you to be mad at me or try to change me from things that you don't like about me all the time. It seems like you don't see the whole picture and do not realize that if you squash something in me, you might also kill a part of me that you and I both love. Change takes patience. It takes love, and it takes God. If you see things in me that you would like to change, start praying for me and for you. Pray that God does what he's doing and that, that you help him to the best of your ability. Pray that you can see the way he sees me and that you can be as patient as you wait for things. Pray that you can communicate to me in a way that helps me see and helps me trust both you and God that this is right. I, I don't want to shut down lines of communication or trust. I just want to caution you that if we continue down this path, it could cause a lot of damage and hurt. That struggling to just be comfortable again will be a tough endeavor. And that I'll want to hide if it feels like just being myself is no longer good enough. I've asked you to consider this question before, and I'll ask it again. Do you love me for who I am now? Not for who I will be or who I was. If I never change... Will you still accept me as the mix of bad and good that I am? I would like your answer to be yes. I'm not saying that I will never change, but the forced change you sometimes seem to want is not going to happen. It will happen slowly and prayerfully.
I just want you to know that I love you. I'm extremely thankful for you, sweetie. You help life make a lot of sense, and I thank God for you constantly. I'm excited about the future with you, and I want to grow deeper and deeper in love and trust with you. Thank you for taking the time to read this, and I look forward to talking to you about it later. Let's just say that that the letter did not go over well. Well, post-letter, we had a couple of rocky weeks after that. Uh, I remember even having to write email, like, I'm so sorry. I I see now why you are frustrated. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, we even broke up, like, right before my parents were coming into town to come visit. It's just the timing. It was horribly selfish whatever <laughs> before they left though we actually made up and they got to meet her um and it went great i mean it always did but after that i was fully aware that we had some issues and needed to fix them on our own or this relationship would never last and i even wanted to go to couples counseling and see if they're you know if we could learn how to, to, to work through things better. Uh, another pro tip is that if you need counseling after only about five months uh, of being in a relationship with someone or knowing them, uh, you probably are in a bad relationship. Uh, but even still, that time period was actually going pretty well. There was some really positive signs at first. Uh, we we're taking time during the week to focus on ourselves, process, heal, grow, um, and then maybe seeing each other on weekends or, or specific times. So it was a lot less and trying to respect that and to, to deal with issues. So um, I got, you know, one night I got this really encouraging text message from her. And uh, this is what it read. Hey, I got this audiobook called When Loving Him is Hurting You. It's a book about being in a relationship with someone who has narcissistic personality disorder, NPD, and is emotionally abusive and how to work through that damage. For someone to be diagnosed with NPD, they have to have five out of the nine traits listed. And my ex has eight out of the nine. <laughs> Everything in the book is identical to what I went through the past few years. It's helping a lot, and it's written through the perspective of, of a pastor counselor with his doctorate degree in this topic. Anyway, I just wanted you to know that 
it made me really feel in love with you and appreciate so much your tenderness, humility, and forgiveness. Also, your open communication and active listening and compassion towards me, even when I'm not easy to care for. None of that goes unnoticed, and I just wanted you to know how much I see and love it. A couple weeks later, after taking her to see um, a Cirque du Soleil show, uh, it was a stormy drive home, we had our last argument. It was along the same lines as changing each other, the email that I read. Um, I, I, I think I said that I was afraid that she didn't like who I really was. She got mad, turned up the radio, laid back her seat, and closed her eyes. Uh, she thought it was just super immature, and she was done discussing it. So about 10 minutes later, I turned the radio down and wanted to finish the conversation. It finished, all right, but by the time it was done, so were we. I was in shock that night and really didn't know what hit me. I could and couldn't believe it all at once. I went to church the next morning fairly zombified. <laughs> Surprised I even went. <laughs> oh my gosh. But here was the fun part. So I just had, you know, one of the most meaningful relationships in my life and and the silliest thing too because i go to church and the theme of the teachings at church had been proverbs <laughs> and being wise making wise decisions the last teaching of course is on the last book or the last chapter proverbs 31 which happens to have godly woman um, I distinctly remember things, even though I didn't take any notes. Um, it started off with a question and I, of course, was in an emotional shocked moment, but the question was, does this person bring Christ out of you to a greater degree or bring you closer to Christ? I realized for all my love and affection, I really wasn't a better person because of this relationship. I was just trying to manage my sin, her trauma, my life, her past, our current situation, plans for the future, frustrations. I loved being loved, but I don't think it truly made me more lovely. Maybe it was the resentful spurned lover in me that took note of the verses also <laughs> about how it was better to be in a dry land than with a nagging woman uh i don't know we're, we're i mean you know it's in the bible for a reason right uh well anyways it helped to have some immediate things to consider and think through uh, next thing i did was i drove back to my old apartment uh, to show up without warning at my old neighbor's house. Uh, one of my best friends, the guy with the Mustang, I, we were still talking regularly. 
and uh, he was fully apprised of my life and situation, and he was becoming very, very dear to me. Uh, by at this point, actually, he was the guy with the the Honda Civic um, because he made it, it made more sense to trade in the car and and get something that was better for mileage and expenses. So it wasn't nearly as cool. Uh, it was a nice car, though. I mean, but he shall be known as the guy who used to have a Mustang from Hitherforth. Uh, he welcomed me on that Sunday morning and was the first to really comfort me. Um, he listened. He understood. Um, at one point, though, he walked into the next room and got a book that helped him. Uh, that he, he uh, was a single father, and this book helped him get over his child's mother. Um, he had kind of had a pretty up and down roller coaster ride too. Um, it was a book on, a, you know, a borderline personality disorder, or the signs and how to deal with a relationship with someone with BPD. Um, it's too convenient to just call this girl of my dreams a crazy ex and i'm i'm no psychologist um but i took the book um and read it and it and it did help because it just explained what trauma could do to affect someone's life and i don't think i was ever aware of that and how it it shapes the way we even think um it gave me a lot of perspective and care uh, my other friend, my other dear, dear friend from work, <laughs> his response was a little different. Um, he was happy. <laughs> he was immediately like, thank God that's over. It was far too much drama. You can do better. I'm here for you, man. And I understand it hurts, but trust me, this is for the best. Oh, gosh. Turns out he was being supportive this whole time, but was also just pretty worried about me, just like my old neighbor had been. Um, they could tell things weren't healthy and just love me and were happy to help me move on once it was finally done with. I, after reading that book, after thinking about things, I wrote an email about a week later to summarize some concerns for what I saw and things that I needed to get off my chest. Um, I don't know if she read it because she promptly texted me and told me that she was blocking me and that she never wanted to hear from me again. Uh, I won't share the full letter, um, but here's how it ended. I care for you and you will be part of my heart and life from now on. I was sorry to have things crumble for us and go through such a troubled end. I never meant to hurt you or do things that upset you. My failings as a person did not help you in your journey, and I am sorry. I wish I was a better person. Then I might have been more of a help. I grew from this relationship and, and am thankful for it in my life. I wish it would have worked out. But with two sinners and a broken world, it doesn't always result in a happy ending. I hope that I have benefited your life in some ways these past few months. And that I have contributed not just to your hurt, but to your path of healing. I understand that things between us need to be done 
and I accept that. I will move on and respect your decision. That doesn't mean, though, that I don't care for you or didn't love you. It's funny looking, looking back. The morning before the breakup, the morning of the breakup, before I, I went to pick her up, I had this other, I had a, a struggle session with, with God. <laughs> I was thinking back and forth about how much I didn't want to let go. And I finally resolved to try again to do things God's ways, but I didn't know if it could be salvaged. And I wrote in my prayer journal to God very sincerely and humbly that if things were not going to work out between us, that he would end it soon and that she would find someone better. Turns out God does answer prayers. I hope the last part has happened as well for her. So the struggle was gone, but the ache was pretty deep. I had never been loved before, and for as crazy and unhealthy as that relationship was, it was at least something. Now I had to walk through a whole new chapter all over again, but God was with me. And I hoped he knew what he was doing. If I went away, you'd be there too. If I went away. 